Hello and welcome to another edition of Conversations Beyond the Pew. And I'm pretty excited because today I have got uh, a guest who I've never interviewed someone who is a playwright, a director, an actor, um, and yeah, just all around cool. Um, met you a few times um, through Bible study and uh just hanging around uh, in Lexington. So this one comes to you from Lexington, Kentucky, not from the deep white north of Michigan. Uh, but anyway, welcome, Walter. Thanks. Thanks. Kara, yeah. really glad to be here. Always enjoy being with you. Yeah, we always have some fun conversations. I always love that Bible study. It, it is fun. It's just uh, people, people are curious. Yes. And willing to, to explore things in all directions. Yeah, and willing to be like, no, that sounds really crazy. That, that, yes, that too. That, that scripture just doesn't sound right. I don't like the way it sounds. Um, so today I wanted to talk a little bit just about your playwriting and your directing and your acting and, and just kind of start at the beginning of what got you into this? Well, actually, it was uh, college. I was uh, a couple of... Uh, guys I knew were in directing classes or some such and just needed bodies for the for a scene and so I did a couple of scenes and then I uh, did a play that another guy was doing and I, I got interested I wanted I wanted to go I, I got off to a rough start though because it was a simple real quick scene in which I played first citizen and my line was to be Tybalt that murderer which way Rainy and so I run on stage and say Tybalt that murderer where did he go? <laughs> Which is when I learned that playwrights write things a certain way for a reason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Right, because they want a particular effect. And so if uh, the line is not delivered like they want it, then... Well, at least it's there, you know. I mean, I didn't... I, they don't want the actor rewriting it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because the result is often bad, like that one was. So, <laughs> so what... What have you found is the most, as you were going along, what did you end up loving the most? The playwriting, the directing, the acting? Well, it's primarily the acting. That's what got me started and what got me interested. Um, I actually went, spent some time in New York studying at the HB studio uh, and determined, uh, quite rightly, that I was unlikely to be able to earn the kind of living I wanted to earn if I stayed with with the theater, mm -hmm. as some people pronounce it. Um, but I still love to act. So over the years, I've had opportunities to act. And I've, been, mm -hmm. I've had fallow periods. Frequently, if, if there's a big gap in my acting jobs, uh, that's when I start to write because I need to do something. Okay. But when I'm acting, when I'm busy acting, I don't think about playwriting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that that's where you... Is it one of those things where you feel like yourself, like kind of um, when I'm preaching, like there is something just magical about it, mysterious about it, that you feel you're in such connection with the, for me, with the congregation, mm -hmm. um, even though I'm not acting, but I'm in front of people, I am speaking. Um, well, you, 
I mean, your point is very well taken. What attracts me is the live actor and the live audience, mm -hmm. the immediate feedback, the knowledge that you've got them to gasp or cry or whatever or laugh, mm -hmm. preferably, uh, <laughs> and that you're you're actually you're actually in it together. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, the the audience I mean, and the audience can affect. Your performance in subtle ways, just like it can affect your sermon, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I realize when the energy of the congregation is low, which happened for me a couple of weeks ago, mm. that I had to give even more because I wasn't getting as much back. Try doing a farce in, in a 200-seat theater in front of 10 people. Oh, <laughs> that, yeah. That, I could see that. Yeah. yeah being difficult. That's heavy lifting. Okay, yeah. What have you found to be the most difficult about the acting uh, you know, I I just feel real natural doing, and I when I uh, I had a period of three years where at three different theaters I was in sixteen plays. Oh wow! And uh, one of those was Horse Cave Theater down in Horse Cave, yep, a, a yeah. professional theater. And uh, you know, when I got there the first year, and and I was backstage getting ready to go on, I thought, you know, this this is where I feel. I'm meant to be gotcha. <laughs> sitting backstage, yeah. getting ready to go on and be somebody else. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's, that's the magic to me. It uh, is, is certainly not where the money is, uh, but it's to me, that's where the, the, the artistic attraction is. And, and in Horse Cave was great. The first year I worked there, 2000, I was in all six shows and Horse Cave did true repertory. Okay. That is to say, they they get multiple shows up and then rotate them in performance. So, okay. you know, Friday night you might be doing a farce, and Saturday afternoon you're doing an Agatha Christie, and Saturday night you're doing Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that is a thrilling experience for an actor because most acting jobs, you get a job with a theater for a show, you rehearse for four weeks, you perform for four weeks, and that's it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So, like that first year, I came in late May and left first week in November, and uh, doing all these plays differently. Uh, it, it was it was a great experience. It's it's an experience every actor should have. As you acting and playwriting and directing, what are some of the lessons that you have found translated over out of those things and into your life? Into my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think those sorts of things are not obvious, uh, but it's, it's good to experience different ways of interacting with people, seeing people, understanding people. And when you're, when you're learning a character, when you're building a character really is a, is a better verb, uh, you have to internalize that character. You have to deal with the other characters on stage. And and all of the actors are going through this process together to get the show together. So, I mean, I think you can understand a, a lot of different aspects of humanity. Yeah. And that's what, and that's something I always say. I said that to me, the theater is a way of examining and understanding the human condition. Because so many times we just kind of float through life and we don't understand why things are happening. We don't understand why people act the way they do. Right. And 
<laughs> and you need you just need to listen sometimes, uh, mm. and and you can understand. But that's you know creating those lives of the characters within the compelling story that the playwright has written uh, is just it's it's an extra experience of life that you don't have in your everyday life, yeah. and so. Yeah, I think it broadens your focus and so forth. Um, it, it's sort of like getting a, a broad education, which I think, to me, is is the ideal. Uh, yeah. Get, get a like a, fine, a liberal arts education, and then get your job training if you can, if you can afford it. Yeah. Uh, but the the broad, the sort of broad vision you get with a liberal arts education, I think, mm-hmm. I, I think is good for your future because you're going to have to adapt. And it, uh, yes. it's easier if you have a broad sort of understanding of uh, people, society, history, all those things. It would be easier to adapt to the changing world. I went to a liberal arts school for my undergrad, and I can just remember being in those classes, and it was almost like a veil was lifted off my eyes and my ears and, like, new realms. I experienced new realms and new ways of thinking. Yes, that, that it wasn't like, well, the way you thought before was wrong, but instead there's now so much more depth to how I understand the world around me. Um, yeah. Yes, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I uh, Once a semester I speak to a, a distribution class at the theater department at Transylvania University here that uh, a friend of mine runs. And she, she every Friday during the semester she brings in a different person who does different things in theater. And she has me go first for the playwriting aspect of it. And, but it, it's one of those classes that's not really a core theater class. It, it's the, the majors in there are all over, the, all over the, the map. But, you know, they seem really interested. And, they, yeah. and I think it, it's good for them to be exposed to that. And who knows? Who knows where it might help them in their lives at some point understand something. So true. So true. Um, I actually was in theater in high school, mm-hmm. all four years, and um, generally I was the stage manager, but I would take small parts. Yes. Um, but I find that as a pastor now, there's something about the way I engage people when I'm standing up and speaking in front of them that has translated, mm-hmm. as well as my projection and my enunciation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because right. <laughs> and I really pay attention to that with when I hear other people preaching. I'm like, oh come on, project a little more, give it some oomph, like, yeah. make us feel it. <laughs> Go into administration. You're not going to make it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's true. And of course, you know, if if it weren't for amplification in a church like the one we're sitting in right now, you know, you couldn't you couldn't be a preacher. If you couldn't do that. Right, yeah. you got to fill the room with your voice. Yes. And yes, enunciate. Because as I tell people, vowels make sounds, mm-hmm. consonants make words. Yeah. And, and so be sure you use your consonants. Well, and it's interesting because like older members who have a hard time hearing, they usually say, I can hear you. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and... I read, I read the scripture sometimes, okay. and I do get a lot of compliments, but, I mean, for one thing, I can be heard. Right. They, they catch every word. Yep. I, I don't try to, you know, chew the scenery, but I try to put a little bit of 
meaning in my delivery. Right. Scripture is not meant to be boring. <laughs> it's, well, it's, that's what I tell people. Is, it's storytelling. Yeah. Tell a story. Right. And which is sort of like doing a play. Mm-hmm. I've been on a couple of search committees, by the way, uh, years ago. But I was always, I was always uh, struck by the fact that there were a fair number of theater references in the backgrounds of the people who were sent their resumes in. Oh, interesting. Yes. Uh, well, it's a performance opportunity. It, it, well, yeah, yeah, there is an <laughs> element there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely. Well, and, and I do think about the way that when speaking in front of people, whether it's in acting or on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching, that there is this deep connection that can happen. Well, and, and you almost see it, right, when you hear people talk about going to see Hamilton. Mm-hmm of this deep connection all of a sudden happens with, with the story. And so what have been some of your most powerful stories that you think about connecting with? Um, let me see. Well, the, an early experience I had was in Tom Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Gildren's Sterner Dead. I did it in college. I played Rosencrantz, as a matter of fact, and my first sort of big role as an adult. Uh, and um, we actually took it for, to New York for three nights. In a, it wasn't an off-Broadway theater. It was actually an off-the-Bowery theater. But nonetheless, it was New York. <laughs> but that's Stoppard, I think, is one of my favorite writers. And that's, that's such a clever play. But it's also quite poignant at the end when Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are on the ship to England. Mm-hmm. And they rip open the note that the king has, said, has sent them with. Which the king's note had said, kill Hamlet. But Hamlet's been on there and rewritten it, and it says, kill Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, and that's a moment that in this play is very poignant, and you can feel the audience, yeah. you know, reacting to it. it. That's the business of live actor, live audience. Um, so, I mean, that that was an experience I had. I've I've had some some great experiences getting laughs <laughs>, laughs by timing and you know just just hold for just the moment that the audience can be thinking what's he going to say and then say it and everybody explodes in laughter now that that is fun i do enjoy laughter yeah, yeah. uh it, we almost as a society aren't laughing enough anymore and I, I find that because, you know, we're either stressed out by the news, we're stressed out by our lives. And so, you know, it, it, we go, we almost seem to go from one tragedy in society to another. And so we ha- we don't laugh as much, I don't feel like, as we used to. And so those moments when you can actually provide a laugh, it's like everybody, like, it's almost like relief. Well, and, and you know, and the the world we live in every day is so fast paced. Everything happens quickly, and it's over, and so forth. Yeah. You go to the theater, and you spend two hours in a different world. Yeah. And you're completely there, mm. and you can you can buy into that world and be a part of it as an observer, and um, and perhaps get a lot more out of it because you're spending the time, and the artists have spent the time effort and creativity to put it on well and um yes i think i think you can get a better experience out of it that way i mean the same thing could be said of of movies as well i suppose but i think there's something about 
sharing it with everyone in the room that is, well, to me at least, is special. Yeah. And we almost need it. Like we, if we are immersed for at least a little bit of time every now and then in another world that gives us a different perspective that allows us to laugh and to cry, it's, it's almost like we've missed something. We've, yeah. we've missed something in our lives. Yeah, and you hope that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning something like that's going on. Right. Yes, that I, <laughs> that I am speaking to people and giving them something new and giving them a totally different experience mm-hmm. than their taking Taking them out of their obsession with themselves. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the most dangerous things we, f- we face as human beings is being absorbed with ourselves. Yeah, it, and we seem to be getting worse. Yes, I would say that's correct. Um, you know, they talk about the uh, the 60s and the 70s, and you get this strong sense of, sense of individualism mm-hmm. um, and how we become so absorbed we can't see anything else, and yet at the same time we're becoming more depressed. Um, our suicide rates are up, and our anxiety is through mm-hmm. the roof. Our drug usage is, is De- off the charts. Deaths track. of despair, they're called. Yeah. And the d- drug overdoses and and uh, uh, suicides and so forth. Yes, we are, and I don't I don't know, but I, I mean at at my age I can tell you. Some of the things that were different about the media world or the, the popular culture world, yeah. and that is that we we all shared a few TV networks, a few newspapers, or, or several. Yeah. But for instance, once upon a time, the Louisville Courier Journal, uh, the Courier Journal newspaper in Louisville, was uh, delivered st- from one end of the state to the other. It was a statewide newspaper, and gradually over the years, as newspapers yeah. have gotten smaller and smaller, now it's just a newspaper for the greater Louisville area. So, uh, you know, whether you liked the newspaper or not, at least there was somebody in Prestonsburg reading the same story as somebody in Paducah. So a shared experience there. Hmm. And uh, on the television, of course, there were the three commercial networks, and then uh, in some states, uh, public network and so uh we had a more we had a more common cultural experience didn't mean we had to agree or anything but now it is so atomized that people aren't even aware of other uh, other bubbles and i wonder if that's what people are craving the shared experience which is why again i go back to to hamilton i mean those are sold out shows yes everywhere it's almost like we want a common experience so the theater actually can give us a common experience even if um it's a different cast but it's the same play in different locations yes yeah that's a two but it's a two-hour experience which is great but you know at once upon a time it was an everyday experience that we were all uh, we were all watching the same shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, not all, but a, a handful of shows that were on television that we watched, and you you chose between NBC, CBS, and ABC for the evening news. You know, and yeah. so we weren't so. The more we've become connected through technology, the less we become connected to each other. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird. Yes. I mean, the, yeah, social media, all of that. 
it's so much easier to find people, but we aren't connected. Yeah, yeah. I think I think as as these changes started happening, uh, a lot of people probably felt like, oh, this will help bring us together because it's so easy to communicate. No, it's atomized us. Right. Well, and this is one of the reasons why I like doing actually live interviews where I'm like, nope, I'm going to pick up my stuff and I'm going to sit in front of somebody because there is something to say about a, a connection of, of talking back and forth with each other. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> For one thing, you're being recorded, so you have to listen to the other person, which is a right. great start. <laughs> right. So true. Yeah. So true. Um, so you've got your acting, but then you also have this segment of playwriting. And so when you decide to write a play, what what is kind of your creative process for that? Well, uh, I've, had, I've had two plays produced the last few years that I'm particularly – uh, that I'm particularly fond of and proud of, I guess. Um, one of them uh, was called Broken, about a homeless woman encountering a, this lonely businessman on a urban waterfront. Uh, but you see, uh, I have worked, I, I, as I say, I have, I've had three careers. I'm a lawyer, practice law. I work for the Hope Center, which is a homeless agency here in town, and I work in the theater. Uh, and... Um, and I've write, I've written a lot of the stories of clients over the last twenty five years, of this agency, and okay. uh, so I, I, I knew I'd learned a lot about the characteristics of homeless people, which are all over the map, as you probably know. Yes. But uh, so that play is about a woman who, uh, she was just a normal woman with a husband and a middle middle class lifestyle, and, and they had a child and. Uh, as she put it, you know, I didn't know I was going crazy at first, so I kept drinking to make the voices go away. Uh, and eventually, uh, as it turns out, their child dies, and she oh just my. can't take it anymore, and she ends up homeless. And she's mm-hmm. and she runs into this fella, and oddly, they keep coming back to talk to each other. And uh, you know, she describes what it's like to live in a car, uh, and and things of that nature, and. And to give away the end, it turns out actually they were the married couple once upon a time. Uh, and he, this guy's so lonely that he can't relate to anybody. He, and, and she's been broken by her addiction and everything else. But she's now, she's now in a shelter that has a recovery program. She's getting better. She's taking her mood pills and so forth. But so, you know, that situation just kind of came to me from all the stories I deal with, I have dealt with over the years uh, working for the Hope Center. And, and the way I explain the way <laughs> the thing works is that they're both in such a form of denial. They keep coming back but are not admitting to each other who they are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. somewhere they have to know, but they can't not come back and continue the conversation because of who they once were. Okay. So, uh, and then gone astray. Um, my wife and I go to uh, Canada every summer to Stratford and also to Niagara-on-the-Lake. There's the Stratford Shakespearean Festival, and then at Niagara-on-the-Lake there's the George Bernard Shaw Festival. Uh, and uh, and one year they, were, they produced a play at Niagara-on-the-Lake called um, Return of the Prodigal. Uh, and it was a... It was a play by an English playwright, Edwardian English playwright, uh, 
it's spelled St. John Hankin, but, you know, in that British upper-class way, they pronounce it Sinjun. Uh, so Sinjun Hankin. So, uh, but he, so he said it in what was his modern day, 1905, okay. in Gloucestershire, where there was, was a lot of mills and uh, iron mining and things like that. And I'm, I'm from eastern Kentucky, from Prestonsburg uh, in Floyd County. And I liked the play, and I thought, well, you know, I could try the same thing using the same basic parable as a starting point uh, and set it in modern-day eastern Kentucky and where the, the father is, a, uh, in, in this case, is a road builder. Okay. The good son is a lawyer wanting to be Commonwealth's attorney. The, the bad son is off in a way, but he comes back in the first act. Uh, I threw in a mother and a and a uh, potential love love interest rival that uh, becomes a rivalry point, and so you know I, I had a, I had a basic structure there uh, to begin with. Uh, I had characters. See, the father paid the son to go away, so he didn't want him back. The mother, on the other hand, is delighted to have him back. <laughs> you know yeah. the. Uh, the the older son wants to run for the Commonwealth's attorney position, but his father, of course, wants to take over the campaign and and and, and run his life. And it's so, and you got you got this paralegal that works for the, the good brother, and they seem to have this sort of relationship where they don't know exactly how they relate to each other. So when the bad son comes back, of course, the paralegal becomes interested in him, and so there's there's that sort of friction going on. You can't have a play without conflict, so there was just all these opportunities for conflict within within these five characters mm-hmm. uh, that helped me get going because uh, it well it just uh, it was a good starting point. It took me forever to figure out how to end it, but I finally did. <laughs> <laughs> so it really is based upon your your life experiences. That's kind of like a starting point. Uh, in some what, ways. What else do we have? Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't write about myself. Although I have a friend who's uh, who's run some of the playwriting programs I've worked on. And matter of fact, I had lunch with her yesterday. Uh, who, who maintains that in every play I write, there is one character who is the Walter May character. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because of the voice of that character and, and the way the character expresses okay. him or herself yeah. uh, that makes her say that, that there's one Walter May character. Uh, but it's something a playwright, a chal- the, one of the challenges for the playwright, of course, is to keep every is to avoid the situation where every character sounds like the playwright's voice. Because ah. <laughs> then you really don't have a play. Yeah. It's just me talking to myself. <laughs> it's, a, it's a one-man show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and very boring. Um, so when you're writing and you've got all of these characters, is it one of those things where you take a story and you're like, wow, what a what different perspective could I take on this what different angle mm-hmm. um just much like i do uh when i preach on a sunday morning when i look at a scripture i'm like i don't want to tell it like everybody always tells it what in here could be something new or different a different voice can be heard right um, well um that, that that's a very good attitude by the way uh when i read scripture in 
in church sometimes, which I do occasionally. I always try to say, well, let's don't let's don't read it the way that I, they'd expect me to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the twenty third Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. I mean, it's, yeah. it when people read it together, it has uh, it has a, a rhythm that is probably enshrined in law someplace because right. you, wherever you are, yeah. when you start saying it, you're all going to say it in the same rhythm. Right, right. It, it's like in the subconscious or yeah. something. Like, yeah, that's right. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so, so I try to I try to do that sort of thing so that people hear it. Sometimes say at least like I heard it for the first time, just because they heard it differently yeah. than they'd heard it before. Uh, but, uh, yeah, back to where I, what I was answering. What was I answering? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were talking about uh, the different voices or the different perspective when you're writing a play. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's hard. That you have to constantly remind yourself that, okay, now this character, yeah. this character has said something. This other character has heard something. But that other character receives it in a certain way. Uh, that's different from the way this character who said it would conceive it. Yeah. And so you, yeah, you have to keep reminding, okay, now I'm writing a line for this character. How would this character respond mm. to what has just happened? And yeah. uh, there are, I mean, in, in Gone Astray, uh, it, it, was, it, it was really a valuable thing to have, the ramrod good brother and yeah. the dissolute, failure brother because they yeah. see the world quite differently right yeah and there is no like <laughs> you can try to explain the other perspective yes. but they don't necessarily get it yeah <laughs> well there's in in the second act of the play the uh as things start coming to all these conflicts start coming to head there start to be some revelations about the past and about an affair the father had and a fling the mother had and oh. and at some point the good brother said says uh, I can't believe I'm hearing this and, and the bad brother says well I'm fascinated <laughs> <laughs> nice <Yeah. laughs> I like that um, so the other thing that you do sometimes is direct uh, yes occasionally not not very often uh, I haven't done it uh, for a while but um, uh, it's um, I enjoy working with actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy finding things uh, in the script with them. The, the thing about theater is it's a completely collaborative process. Everyone, everyone who works on the production yeah. makes some kind of contribution to the final product, final artistic product. And so uh, when you're directing, you're giving stuff to the actor but the actor gives stuff back to you yeah and uh and it's not always it's not always stuff that you had anticipated it's same true of the playwright i've got this one little story when gone astray played in louisville one night it was sold out i was sitting in the back the center of the back row mm-hmm. and a woman was sitting next to me and she happened to be a friend of the director and we got to talking before the play started and she discovered i was the playwright and uh uh, and then the show started, and at intermission, as the lights came up, she turned to me and said, you know, it's really funny, but you don't laugh when I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, that's, it, 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 just for every laugh, there's there's an element of surprise, right? The yeah. stuff you're laughing at, I'm not surprised by, because that's what I wrote, that's what we rehearsed, they yeah. were expecting that. Uh-huh. What, when, when I... 
I laugh when I see an actor do something I had not anticipated. The actor put something into the role or the line that I didn't even know was there. Mm. And so, nice. And so I, that's, that's when you hear me laugh. Oh, my God, I hadn't realized that. Which is kind of cool, right, to, even as the playwright, to be surprised in oh, yes. good ways. Yes, yes. And, and that's, you know, that happens a lot in the theater. I mean, it's, uh, it's sort of like every human being has a combination of the DNA of two people, whereas every production has the a combination of the DNA of 10, 15, 20 people. Yeah. that have contributed to it, the designers, the, the sound engineers, who, who, all of these people. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I got such a good production out of the theater in Louisville, they even, they, they even had uh, music c- composed for it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that I've never experienced that before. You know, every, everything That's I've cool. ever done, it came off a record or a, yeah, yeah. A, a, some other recording. Yeah. Uh, but so it, it, it's like somebody asked me uh, in one of these things I do over at Transylvania, you know, what, what is it like when you see a play you've written uh, produced? And I said, well, it's, it's kind of a cousin of cognitive dissonance. You recognize everything about it, but it's not the way you, can, you thought it. You know, it's yeah. just, it's, it, you know, you have... You, you have, at least I do, I have a picture of the production in my mind as I'm doing it, but it never comes out that way because everyone else is executing the production. And so it's, you know, I recognize everything that's going on, everything being said, but I hadn't thought of it in quite the way they're doing it. It doesn't mean I don't like the way they're doing it. Yeah. I'm saying it's just not the way I had imagined it in my head. So it really is then uh – as the community, or a, or we'd say teamwork, of everybody bringing their gifts together, you're actually creating something new and beyond even what you, as the playwright, had thought. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm just I'm just the starting point. Yeah. I, uh, it, it it goes through a lot of different minds, hands, uh, talents on the way to being in front of an audience. Cool, very cool. Um, what's one thing that uh, you would want uh, a person to know that has that's never acted or directed or, or written a play, but maybe they've just gone to the theater. What's one thing you would like them to know about any of it, about any of that process? Um. Well, don't try it for a living. Okay. <laughs> Say no to living off that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, keep your day job. Uh, <laughs> the, um, I don't, you know, I just... I want them to learn what I have to say by experiencing the play. You know, I mean, I'm glad to talk to people about the process and 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 how it works and how you know one production of the same play is different from another production of it. You know, I've had I've had two productions of Broken and two productions of Gone Astray. They're very different, but they were both they were all four very good productions. Um, I. Go to more plays. <laughs> that's okay. that's one thing I, I would say. Uh, because, you know, as good as the movies are, and people are leaving movies and just getting it off their screens at home these days. Yeah. Uh, the theater is, is that night in that theater with this play, this company, and this audience is a one-off experience. Because mm. tomorrow night it won't be quite the same. I'm not saying the actors aren't 
following their directions. They are, but the yeah. the experience between the live actor and the live audience is always just a little bit different every night. S- sometimes the line gets a big laugh. Sometimes it just goes right over them, you know. Yeah. And and you. Uh, and you, you don't know before the play starts that night, which it will be, mm. because the audience brings its own contribution to the process, which yeah. is its reaction to the production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And the final question I have, which I try to ask everybody, is what piece of wisdom do you try to live by? Um. God, that that it presupposes I have wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured there's something in there. <laughs> uh, I, I say this, and I think that one of the things I've learned as, as I've grown older is <laughs> kindness is so important. Yeah. I mean, there was a point in my life where I resented someone being kind to me. I don't wow. know why, what that is. Like, you know, I don't need your help or something like that. But no, I... I I, I, I enjoy people being kind to me now. Mm-hmm. I've learned that. I know how important it is for me to be kind to them. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the wisdom is be kind. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you, Walter, for huh? sitting down with me. Um, I, I think you can be found uh, doing your thing down around the Lexington area. <laughs> so if you're like, oh... What, what's what's these plays that I've heard about? What, <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Um, any productions coming up? No, no, no. I just uh, I did just finish a uh, thirty second commercial, so that was okay. It paid, so hey, <laughs> if it pays, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Three hundred for a half a day's work. So oh, nice, yeah. nice. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, and to all those who have been listening, um, I hope that you've enjoyed this experience of me being able to to sit down and talk with Walter about his uh, playwriting and directing and acting and and all of the connections to life. Uh, May your week be one that is blessed and may you have an amazing experience. Have a great one. (music) 